Lord willing, in two weeks, we plan to have a special baptism service to baptize some folks here that want to announce to the rest of the world that they love Jesus because he has first loved them and died on the cross and taken away their sins. Baptism is a demonstration that someone has been saved, saved from the penalty of sin, but it is also a declaration that someone is being saved from the power and the presence of sin. So therefore, one of the aspects of our baptism practices here at Embassy Church include people making promises, public promises declaring that they want to follow Jesus for the rest of their life. In today's message on Psalm 35, I want all of us to make sure we fully understand the cost and commitment of following Jesus and that it does not always mean an easy path. I especially want any of you who are here today that have never been baptized, which I would presume is a lot of you that are under the age of 18, children or youth of the church. I would like to apply this word from Psalm 35 and in conjunction with Jesus's use of it in John 15 to help you understand what it means to be baptized and basically ask, are you willing to follow Jesus even if it means you will get hurt? Children, I want to talk to you at various points in the service today. This might be a good message to really listen to Pastor Phil. I want you to understand that many people have gotten baptized in a Christian church and as a result were killed, murdered. Many people have been baptized in a church and then the result of which was getting teased, made fun of, or picked on. Just for following Jesus, people have been baptized and then other people, even friends and family members, have spread rumors and lies about them. Just for following Jesus. Psalm 35, in summary, is a song, a poem about being persecuted. More specifically, it's a song about how one would respond to persecution. So children... Maybe that sounds like a big word, persecution, and you're not as familiar with it. So let me explain. The Bible's word persecution in the original language means to follow someone around, to chase them around like a hunter. Wouldn't the idea of being hunted down be terrifying? That's the idea of persecution, a word that's used a lot today in Our common conversations, especially for school children, is bullying. Persecution is a lot like bullying. And bullying is when someone uses their power or their strength to aggressively and repeatedly hurt someone. Now, this could be physically. Someone might punch you, push you, hurt you physically. It could be emotionally. They might want to embarrass you with some sort of information or, as I mentioned, spreading lies and rumors that aren't true about you. They could use their popularity or the friends that they have and team up on you. When someone is bullying another person, oftentimes the way we feel, and so kids, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, maybe even with a brother or sister, not that I want to call them a bully, but stop picking on me. Would you please just leave me alone? That is the feeling of being persecuted, being picked on repeatedly. And you just want to be left alone. 
And the Bible tells us that after people get baptized, a common expectation is for them to be persecuted or bullied. So here's the big question for the sermon, for parents, you to talk with your children about. For those of you here that are a guest or visitor, you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never been baptized. This question is precisely for you too. And then of course, for all of us who are believers in Christ, this is a significant application for all of us. Will you love Jesus when people start hating you for following him? It's the main big idea question for all of us. Will you still love Jesus even when people start hating you for following him? Psalm 35 gives us three reasons we should keep loving him even when people physically hurt us, emotionally harm us, or verbally abuse us. And then Psalm 35 gives us three little lessons for how to respond. So I want to take those one at a time. Why we should keep loving Jesus when people try to physically hurt us. Why we should keep loving Jesus even when people want to emotionally harm us. And why we should keep loving Jesus even when people verbally abuse us. Let's take the psalm and actually just read through the three main parts. If you have your handout, you'll see the outline and be able to follow along and show with your child or your own eyes and see verses 1 to 10 of Psalm 35, I think, are especially emphasizing the physical harm that a believer in God is experiencing for no good reason. And so, as a summary of Psalm 35, 1 to 10, God will save you even when people hurt you for no good reason. Let's read that section and then let me just make a few comments to make sure you all understand that there's a reason to keep following Jesus and love him. Psalm 35 of David, starting in verse 1. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. And let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. Then... My soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. And we'll pause here. I think this is the first main section of Psalm 35. God will save you when people hurt you physically, even for no good reason. The language used in this first section of the psalm is fighting language. Did you notice that in verse 1? Fight against those who are fighting me. Or in verse 7, they try and trap you in a net or dig you in a pit. 
Or even the way that David, as he's praying this, is talking about how somebody's chasing him. Did you see that? In verse 6, let the way of the dark, let, let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord chasing them. They're chasing me. They're trying to hunt me down. And so I want you, God, to chase them. I want you to trap them because they're trying to trap me. And if God saves, then David knows that he will rejoice. Then when you save, I will rejoice. That's verses 9 and 10. Rejoice in the Lord and exalt in his salvation. And then all my bones. Now, bones don't talk. This is poetry. So what that means is it's trying to say that all of my being, even my bones, if they could talk, my bones would be shouting, God is great. No one is like him. He delivers the poor. That's why I was thinking especially of young people, thinking of children that are helpless and weak, having big, stronger bullies trying to oppress. And God says, I save those kind of people. Do you see why we can have hope, even as Christians, if we want to follow Jesus, that Jesus will save us. He will save us when people want to hurt us and chase after us. And so, I want you to think about this. If you have never been baptized, it may be that you're signing up not for ease and comfort and health and wealth and happiness. To follow Jesus, as we just heard from John chapter 15, should oftentimes expect hatred. People hate you because you love Jesus. That's not a very good reason to hate someone, is it? No, of course it's not. So will you keep loving Jesus or will you say, I don't think I want to do this Jesus thing anymore. I want to stop going to church, reading my Bible. And I'm arguing that I think the Bible tells us we should continue to love him and follow him because he promises he will save. He will protect. Even if you die. You see, Pastor Phil, what if somebody hurts me so bad I go to the hospital or even worse, I die? He will save you from death. In John 15, 18, the very first, read, the very first verse David read to us says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me first before it hated you. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples on the very last night before he died that people hate him. And they hated him first. So to follow Jesus and to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit on the basis of what Jesus did for us, that action is to Follow him even in his death. The reason why we take people down into the water is to symbolize that they are dying as Jesus died. But just like Jesus was raised from the dead, we raise a person out of the water and then they are symbolizing new life. That's what baptism pictures and symbolizes. Death to our sin, death to our old self, death like Jesus died, but even when we physically die, When any of you die, if you have trust and hope in Jesus Christ, you can know that he will save you, even if that death is at the hands of somebody who's chasing you, persecuting you. So think about it like this. The world hated Jesus first, pursued him first, killed him first. And what did God do in response? What did the Father do when he watched the way the world treated his perfect, sinless son? The Father raised him from the dead. 
The Father saved Jesus. So just like the Father saved Jesus, even when people hurt him for no good reason, you should take confidence that God will save you when people want to hurt you for no good reason. That's the first point. And I think all of us in this room should consider, do you want to follow Jesus? Well, it may come at a cost. It may physically hurt your body. You may even die. But it's worth it. Resurrection is so worth it. Point two. In verses 11 to 18, God will rescue you when your friends or people who love you make fun of you. As we turn from physical harm that's being described, from armies and battles and warfare, now we turn to close friends, maybe even family members, people that you love and trust betraying you and laughing at you. That's what we're about to read in Psalm 35, verses 11 to 18. Follow along. I'm going to read it, and hopefully you'll see that that's the point of this section. David says, malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction. My precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation and the mighty throng. I will praise you. Did you notice the way this section of the psalm teaches that God is a rescuer? He rescues you even when people whom you love Friends of yours turn their backs and betray you and make fun of you, laugh at you. In case you missed it, let me just point out where I'm getting that idea. Notice where he says in verse 12 that they're repaying me evil for good and my soul is grieving. It's really sad. My soul, my being is sad. Well, why is your soul so sad? Answer, look at verse 13. Because when I was with my close friends and they were sick, I prayed for them. Like, I really cared about them. They were going through a hard time, and I fasted, which is a word for saying I didn't eat, and I made myself feel the pain that they were feeling when they were crying. I cried with them. These are the people that God, in his holy word, is saying that David is getting persecuted by. Verse 15 says, but at my stumbling, these people, these people that I acted like, they were my friend, my brother. It was like my mother died and I so cared about them. And these people rejoiced and gathered against me. And then look at verse 16. Like profane mockers at a feast. They teased me. They made fun of me. That's the word mocking. They laughed. They pointed their finger. 
They had this big party as I tripped and fell and everybody laughed and made fun of me and then everybody took a video and posted on social media and spread it to all their friends and now I'm the laughing stock of the whole school and community. I thought these people were my friends. That's precisely what David is talking about, the embarrassment of being teased and made fun of. And he says in the middle of all of that that he is going to turn to God as his rescuer. He says in verse 17 and 18, God, how much longer are you going to watch this go on? And then he says, rescue me. Rescue me from their destruction. And then he pictures them like lions. So we get a hunter that's chasing. Now the persecution is being described as a hungry lion ready to devour some people, but not with their teeth. This is the picture of people that are acting like lions and they are mean. And the way they're being mean is by laughing and scoffing and mocking and making fun of David. So in response, he turns to the Lord and he says, God, I need you to save me. And what our psalm tells us, and especially because we know Jesus is well aware of this, and Jesus puts himself in David's place, we can know that God answered David's prayer, and he ultimately will answer all of your prayers if you would commit yourself to the path of Jesus. He did rescue David. He will rescue you. And he rescued Jesus. Can you think of a time when Jesus was teased? made fun of, mocked, where they pointed fingers, wagged their heads, embarrassed him in front of other people. Kids, if, if you're not thinking of something, I want you to think about the time Jesus died on the cross. The cross wasn't just physically painful, it was emotionally embarrassing. They teased him. I'm not just reading into the story. You can read the gospel accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with your parents, Read them on your own if you can. And I want you to notice that the way that Jesus was teased, he was made fun of. He experienced what it was like to do nothing wrong. He was a good man. Everything he did was good. He loved people. He prayed with them. He cried with them, just like David's describing here. And what did they do in return? They laughed at him. And because God the Father looked down, like our verse says, how long are you going to look down on this? And didn't just watch, didn't care. God looked and was concerned and then rescued Jesus. Rescued him from the pain of death and rescued him from the embarrassment that he experienced when he died on a cross. So they were teasing him specifically. Here's one of the examples of the way they teased Jesus on the cross. They put above his head a sign. And the sign read above his head, Hail King of the Jews! And what they were trying to do was try and say, you think Jesus is a king? Ha! Here's what your king looks like. Weak, pathetic, beaten up, can't do anything. Where's his army? Where's his power? And they started laughing and teasing him for being a weak king. What they didn't know is that God would raise Jesus from the dead precisely because of his willingness to be weak. And that would be the greatest power this world has ever seen. And God asks us to follow Jesus in that path, not by trying to punch back, not trying to argue back, but by allowing God to do the vindication, by allowing God to do the rescuing. And that's what Jesus did. And he was rescued from the grave. And now guess where Jesus is? 
Kids know? Parents, do you know? Where's Jesus right now? Come on, this is Embassy Church. You're supposed to know this. At the right hand of the Father. Oh, you mean he's enthroned as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the one who has all authority in heaven on earth, and he's in charge? Who's laughing now? Do you see how God takes the evil purposes and plans of this world and flips them upside down? That's why you can trust him. People laugh at you, but you will know because of the gospel of Jesus that they will not be laughing in the end. That's point number two. Just like God rescued Jesus when people made fun of him, God will rescue you when your friends and people you love turn their backs on you and make fun of you. Third, finally, the last section of our song, song it's the longest, it's verbal abuse. And so God knows the truth about you. And when people tell lies about you, he will make things right. He will set the record straight. So let's read this last part and see that people are saying horrible lies about David and he is trusting that God will set the record straight. He will make things right. So this is starting in verse 19. Let not those who rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes and let not those who wink the eye who hate me without cause for they do not speak peace but against those who are quiet in the land. They devise words of deceit They open wide their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord. Be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, aha, our heart's desire. Let them not say, we have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant, then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Did you notice in this section that people are speaking abusive, harmful words? All of us in this room have heard somebody say something about us and it hurt our feelings. It hurt a lot when somebody called us a name or said something about us that wasn't true. I can think of a lot of times in our own family where one of the children will come up and say, so-and-so did that, and they didn't. It was a lie. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had a sibling or a friend in school accuse you of something and say, yeah, they stole that from me? Like, I didn't steal anything. That's what David's talking about. The experience of having somebody say a lie about you that's not true. Not just teasing and making fun of, but saying something that you did that you didn't really do. And that's the idea that he's referring to. And what he does is pray that God will vindicate. And that's, again, a bigger word. And it just means that God knows. He knows the truth and he is going to set it straight. He's not going to be confused by the lies. So when people say lies about us, we know that God knows. Do you see that in verse 22? You have seen, O Lord, be not silent. Because Jesus 
God the Father, the Holy Spirit, knows all things that go on on the world. We know that when people tell lies, he knows the truth. And he will make things right in the end. And just like God vindicated Jesus, you can have confidence that he will vindicate you or make things right. So again, as each of these points, the reason we can have confidence is because David's pointing to Jesus. Notice the language here where he says in verse 24, vindicate me, O Lord my God, according to, this is very, very important. This is good for all of you grown-ups too, right? According to what? Your righteousness? God, I am standing before the throne and I would like to be tried on the basis of my righteousness. That's not going to work well for us. When you stand before the throne of God, you want to be vindicated and made right on the basis of God's standard of righteousness and on the basis of Christ's gift of righteousness. And that's why we know we will be saved, not because of how great we've been or how many times we have told the truth, but because we know that Jesus forgives sinners, even liars, even if you've told a lie. And even when people lie against us, He knows all things, and he will make it right in the end. So trust in God to save you. So those are my three arguments for all of us. You should continue to trust Jesus. Follow him. If you've never been baptized, this is part of what it would mean to be baptized, to commit yourself to following Jesus no matter what happens, as harm comes against you, as people try and hurt you, as abusive words get thrown at you, especially when it's for following Jesus. So there's another aspect, and I want to conclude with very simple, practical applications for each of us. Three practical ways to respond in persecution, because it's not just truths about persecution and God's saving, it's also the way David responds to it that is tremendously helpful. So let me give you three little lessons, and we'll conclude this message. First, we should not be surprised by persecution. The way that Jesus quotes Psalm 35 is precisely to make this point. If we read later on in the New Testament, we will have examples of both Paul and Peter and James and all the authors of the Bible reference persecution for Christians. In one way, you could say the entire New Testament is a book trying to help Christians who are following Jesus deal with persecution. It's all over the place. One of my favorite examples of this is when we're told, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that are happening to you as if something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. This isn't strange. This is actually quite typical. You know what's strange is living in a comfortable Christian, American Christian life where it doesn't matter that you follow Jesus. Everybody says, oh, good for you. That's a little strange. In the last 2,000 years of following Jesus, a lot of people have been hurt and harmed and abused for following Jesus. Many people today around the world They get baptized and their family does not want to ever see them again. That testimony has been told from people that this church has partnership with in the Middle East. When we pray for the work that's happening in the Middle East, we've had members and people that have come to faith in Jesus, been baptized, and then told our church, when I got baptized, my family boiled, poured boiling hot water on me. They wanted to harm me and they never wanted to see me again. That's some of the fruit that's come about in the work that we support in the Middle East. It's important for us to realize that this is not to be taken by surprise. 
How many of you need to be reminded of that as an everyday follower of Christ? To pray for the persecuted church, to know that this is normal, but then also to know that as the world's secular, anti-God, anti-Christian values continue to press in, that it might get more difficult for not just us, but especially our children. Hopefully that's not a newsflash. Hopefully your heads are not so far in the sand that when you look out and you read news headlines and you hear the way, the direction that the United States of America is going, that it is not in favor of Jesus. And the world hates Jesus. And increasingly it seems like we need to be thinking about and talking about these matters with our children because we shouldn't be surprised by them. Number two, don't be surprised by persecution. Number two, be angry about persecution, but do not sin. This is a psalm of lament, but it's a special kind of lament. It's a lament that's sad and angry, and it's asking for God to be just, for God to bring about justice. You can kind of hear in the tone, God, save me. I need you so badly. Some of us, as we experience these psalms, we feel uncomfortable. Is that okay? The Spirit really inspire Psalm 35? I mean, when you read it over from beginning to end, the dominant theme is vindication, saving, and judging the enemies of David. And I think that in this righteous, indignant anger, we continually see the psalmists pray these kind of prayers. And for a lot of Christians, this is a struggle to know are we, are we allowed to be angry? Yes, be slow to anger. But you're allowed to be angry. If somebody hurts your child and you're a parent and they come to faith in Jesus and they get abused, when, when someone's being bullied, we, we shouldn't get happy about this. When the Bible tells us to rejoice in our trials, it's not because of the trial, it's because of what the trial produces. We don't go around and clap and celebrate when somebody gets persecuted for their faith. Even if God and his sovereignty is working things for their good and, and, and bringing about his purposes that sometimes we don't understand, your response is allowed to be angry. We're just not allowed to sin in our anger. And so our third and final lesson is to help you know what to do in that anger so you don't sin. And that third lesson is pray. Pray to God and trust him to do the right thing. Trust his perfect righteousness and justice. Hopefully you saw in this psalm not just a leaning on the Lord for vindication and a, a leaning on the Lord's righteousness rather than David's, but notice that the entire psalm never once says, I will take matters into my hands. The whole purpose of psalms like this one is to tell you that when you're angry, and maybe even rightfully so, when you're being persecuted against, when evil seems to be winning, you're allowed to talk to God in that anger and tell him, God, we need you desperately. Praying to him. And even praying specifically, God, I want you to come and make things right. And if that includes punishing the evil, you're the one that knows what's best. And I think that would be the right spirit to pray Psalm 35. Many Christians have sometimes said, oh no, the Old Testament's all about a, a law-filled, angry God. And then when Jesus came in the New Testament, he was filled with grace. So in the New Testament, we're told to pray for our enemies and bless them. We don't ever want to pray that God would judge enemies. 
And there is a little bit of reconciling of this. So what do we do? Should we pray for our enemies and those who persecute us? Or should we pray that God bring down the fire of judgment on them? And I don't think we necessarily need to choose. Pray for the kingdom of God to come here on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for the day of the Lord. Pray for the return of Jesus. And all of those things mean saving those who have been wrongfully accused, saving those who have been hurt, but also judging the wicked. And he knows how to separate the sheep from the goats. He knows how to know the righteous from the wicked. So pray for the God of justice to bring justice and do so in a humble spirit, knowing that we do want people who are our enemies to be blessed with the gospel. As much as we might pray, God, I am so upset with these bullies. I want you to bring justice on them, but I also know that that justice may be met out on Jesus Christ who died for their sins too. And so we pray for all of the above. God, you know what's best. So I ask again, will you love Jesus when people start hating you for following him? And will you then love your enemies, the very people who hate you? I think the only way you can do that is if you realize that you yourself are guilty of hurting others, harming and making fun of others, and verbally abusing others and saying lies. Can any of you really stand up and say, I've never done that. I've never hurt anybody. I've never harmed anybody. I've never told a lie. Do you know why it's so important that we pray to God on the basis of his righteousness and not our own? Because he loved us when we were enemies. He first pursued us even when we were running from him. Even when we were running after other people to hurt them, he stopped us in our tracks. He woke us up to the reality of our sin and he turned us into a loving, humble posture toward Jesus. And that's what we think it means to become a Christian and be baptized. So again, will you, whether you've been baptized or haven't, consider the cost and know that many people will hate Christians, but God will save those Christians who are persecuted, vindicate them. He will make it right. And on that basis, we should pray. So let's join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do want to come now in the name of your Son, Jesus, and we want to thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because in John chapter 15, you said to your disciples that some people in the world will hate us because we follow you, but you will give us the Spirit, the Spirit of truth that will guide us to the truth. You will give us the one who will point us to Jesus so that we will remember your gospel. So we want to thank you, especially in this message, that you love us and you have sent your spirit, your presence to encourage us and support us and help us to persevere. We want to thank you that you are looking down from heaven and you are not distant and far off and don't care. We want to thank you that in the center of the evil of this world, Jesus Christ bore the weight of your wrath and your anger towards sinners. You punished Jesus on the cross and that he was treated like an enemy and that vindication for us is only possible on the basis of our trust and our faith in him. So we thank you for the cross. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the spirit. We thank you, Father, that you hear us now and that you love us 
and that no matter what bad things may happen to us today or the rest of our lives, we can confidently trust that you will save us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.